Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to the first installment in our Tom and Jerry movie review series. Today we are reviewing Tom and Jerry the movie. This is your co-host Corbin. And I'm Alan. And I gotta admit, I had no idea this movie existed until we just randomly saw on the release schedule that Tom and there was going to be a brand new theatrical Tom and Jerry movie. And I just thought, Oh, Hey, I liked Tom and Jerry when I was a kid, we should just check this brand new movie out. And then Alan said, well, if we're going to do that, then we should go back and review the first theatrical one. And I'm like, wait, what? Uh Oh dear. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to talk about that today. Yeah. I'm sure that you're not alone with that Corbin. Um, (laughs) I'm sure that there are plenty of people that when you say, Oh yeah, there's that, Tom and Jerry theatrical movie from 1993 that they'd be like, oh, what? There, that it what? You know, so I don't think you're alone in that, Corbin. Because if I hadn't have seen this when I was a kid, however many times I've seen this when I was a kid, I probably would be in the same camp as you. It did come out two years before I was born. And mm-hmm. I just don't ever remember it being on TV. There is a possibility I did rent it when I didn't like i wasn't able to remember really things very well but i don't know i just don't remember this movie at all so yeah i mean i'm a big tom and jerry fan i love the original cartoon i loved watching it um up till up till middle school is when i pretty much watched it and that's no secret here i hated middle school hated it so much didn't want to go and it was always kind of a bright spot when i got to stay home from school or I got to come home from school and I got to watch some Tom and Jerry episodes. They were just so funny to me. I loved the animation. I loved their setting. I just thought it was a really great idea. So yeah, I was really curious to visit a theatrical version of this one. Um, I just, I don't know. It doesn't always um, work too well. I, I know this was kind of a thing. Uh, a Batman Mask of the Phantasm was a theatrical release in the 90s, and that was based right. off of Batman the Animated Series. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting to see this done. But from us talking off recording, you have seen this movie a lot. Yeah, this is a movie where I guess I just didn't realize how many times I've seen it until I was sitting down watching it again for this review. And I was like, yeah, I, I could I could give you almost every when I was sitting down watching, I was like, oh, yeah, this happens and this happens. I could give you pretty much every scene that happens in this movie. And I started to realize, oh, wait, I've seen this like probably a dozen times. Like that's not even an exaggeration either. Like that. I watched this movie back when way back when I was a kid. So I would assume that uh, we've I've seen it probably into, you know, into the double digits at least. So now it has been an a good while since I've seen this, like probably a good 10, 15 years. And that's also not really much of an exaggeration, but I could almost give you the entire plot of this movie without having to watch it again for this review. 
<laughs> oh man, that's that's amazing. But at the same time, it's not out of the ordinary because when I was a kid too, there were certain movies that I just watched over and over again. And yeah, somehow I missed this one. I'll talk a little right. later about movies that I do recommend. I, I tried to pull out some recommendations from kind of around this period that I still think might pique people's interests that were kind of interesting, but that's for later in the podcast. Well, listeners, if you are ready to just hear our thoughts, then make sure to check the timestamps down in the description below. Also down there, we have links to our Facebook, our Twitter, our official website, links to all major podcast platforms. We are on all major platforms right now and our Patreon page as well, which give you some great bonus content. And it's a great way to actually connect with us personally over there. And it really helps us keep the lights on over here, pays for the uh, bandwidth, for the storage, for hosting, for just improving everything here at Silver Screen Guide. So that's a great way to support us and a great way for you to get some extra content. Make sure to check the description below. Tons of great stuff down there that will connect you with us, that will help you figure out what's coming up next. And also jump around in the podcast if you're wanting to hear our final thoughts, our discussion. All of that's in the description. So Alan, I got to ask, why in the world did they release this movie July 30th? during the summer this is not a summer movie come on maybe it is maybe it is because it's animated and kids are at home i don't know it just seems surprising well that's a great question i have no clue um (laughs) so this is of course not the first time that they've tried to make a tom and jerry movie right tom and jerry was big number of years ago um and i mean it's it's like a household name it's like a scooby-doo pretty much where they Mm. just keep living for whatever reason right (laughs) so they tried multiple times to try and make a Tom and Jerry movie, and it wasn't until finally something broke through and now comes Tom and Jerry the movie, which is what we're reviewing today. As for why they decided to release it in the summer, well, it kind of has to do with the uh, the Disney renaissance, the Disney musical animation renaissance that happened in the late 80s and into the 90s. That was a big push. To get a movie like this out, that and I think um, "All Dogs Go to Heaven" was a big was a big uh, push as well. Mm-hmm. So, at the time, this was not necessarily out of the ordinary for a film like this to be coming out, but they definitely wanted to ride on that Disney train. The animation musical makes big money in the box office, apparently, from what they're seeing from Disney. Yeah, and you know, even the title of this movie is kind of weird. I guess it's just helping people realize that this is a movie. No, it's not some TV special that's coming out. Uh, This was also popular around the 90s too, to title your movie, so-and-so colon the movie. I think it's really dumb. I'm really glad we've abandoned that. It's just, it feels so archaic and it's just such a strange thing, but you're right. Um, We'll talk about... Disney influences on this movie because they're pretty major. I can speak to that, definitely. Uh, It is surprising how much of a Disney bandwagon they're trying to ride off of here. And animation was pretty big. All dogs go to heaven. Yeah. Um, Especially animation Mm -hmm. involving animals, talking animals. So, Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And downtrodden children. You always have to have a downtrodden child in your movie, Mm -hmm. too. I don't know. But so what did it go up against? opening weekend i mean did it was it number one 
Uh, uh, no, it was actually number 15, oh. apparently. <laughs> um, so off to not a very great start. Coming oh, out that week at the same time was a movie called Rising Sun. Hmm. Now, In the Line of Fire was also in theaters at number two, The Firm yeah. number three, Free Willy at number four, and Jurassic Park, which had been in for eight weeks at this point, at number five. Wow. So it came out with, I, I don't think it's a, a whole lot of competition. I mean, Jurassic Park probably, but again, that's been in for a number of weeks. Came hmm. out at number 15. Ouch. So not looking too good for Tom and Jerry on its first weekend out. That's pretty horrible, to say the least. Um, yeah, I mean, all of those other movies that you mentioned, I don't I don't know Rising Sun at all. I tried to look into it a little bit. But mm. yeah, I mean, In the Line of Fire was a John Malkovich, Clint Eastwood action movie. I like that one. I've got it on Blu-ray. Of course, Jurassic Park. Free Willy was big also when we were kids. So, yes, it was. So I guess, I guess the Orca has outdone... The feline and rodent, it sounds like. Right. Exactly. So coming in at number 15, it probably didn't gross very much. Nope. Um, in fact, I only could find it in being in theaters for two weeks. Um, <laughs> the second week was only because I hopped onto Box Office Mojo. That wasn't on the numbers. Oh. Um, in terms of money, though, it had a budget of $3.5 apparently, according to uh, Wikipedia, with no source. So... I don't know how accurate that is. IMDb had the budget at $8 million. Well, that's interesting. Okay. So it's anywhere between $3.5 million to $8 million, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, either way, it didn't do very good in the box office because it got $1.3 million back opening weekend, apparently. Uh, um, and then domestically overall got back $3.5 million for oh. a worldwide... Oh, sorry. $3.6 million for a worldwide total of uh, $3.6 million. So mm. it either just barely scraped by getting its budget back or it was a com was an even worse bomb, depending on how much the budget actually was. Either way you look at it, it's it's a bomb, right? Because oh, yeah. it came out number 15, went to number 17, and then disappeared um, with $3.6 million in total of worldwide gain back. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a complete bomb. It, I mean, apparently barely anybody went to go see it enough to generate three and a half million dollars and right. yeah that should tell the studios that people just didn't want a tom and jerry movie it just honestly seems super strange to just make a movie a theatrical movie and put it out i mean we'll talk about this later but my only guess and especially looking across this is that uh Oh, okay, I'll save it. I'll save my thoughts for later in the review. I can see okay. why they did this, but it just clearly didn't pay off. But right. yeah, I'm I'm guessing the uh, scores aren't going to be uh, too pretty. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> um, IMDb at a 5.4, which oh. already isn't very good. Metascore, there was no Metascore that I saw on mm -hmm. IMDb. But a Rotten Tomato score of 14% critic score and 40% audience score. Yeah. <laughs> Letterbox at a 2.5, right down the middle. But a surprisingly high, somewhat maybe hopeful uh, cinema score at an A-. minus. So all across the board, no one's liking Tom and Jerry the movie except for maybe cinema score. Yeah. Um, 
But that's that's really the only saving grace for scorers for Tom and Jerry the movie. Yeah, I mean, that's I guess that's the silver lining is audiences straight out of the theater gave the film an A minus, which is pretty good. I mean, I guess audiences seem to like it now. I I don't think Rotten Tomatoes was around probably when this movie came out. So nobody no, I was wouldn't think so. Nobody, even if they did, nobody wanted to get up on their dial up Internet just to go rate this movie. So, right. Those ratings are kind of pulled in, especially for the audience. So, yeah, 40 percent is a little surprising. It's still pretty low. Um, yeah, 5.4 is pretty awful. So I did want to actually see what another Tom and Jerry movie would be like. Um, so I did go and watch Tom and Jerry back to Oz. I watched most of it. Now, I'll okay. save that for the end, whether I recommend that or not. But nevertheless, I do have a little bit more perspective on what another Tom and Jerry movie is like. Now, and it is rated higher than this one. It has a 5.9, which is still pretty bad. Right. It was not much higher, but it is higher, I guess. Yeah. But you said you've seen other Tom and Jerry movies, though, right? Yeah, I've seen. I'm trying to think. I've seen. I know I've seen at least two of them. Um, I've seen. Tom and Jerry, the Fast and the Furry, and I've seen, Gosh. um, I yeah, Tom and Jerry, the Magic Ring. I know I've at least seen those two. Um, also, probably around the same time that I watched Tom and Jerry the movie, <laughs> um, back when I was no more than maybe ten years old, I would think. Oh so, I have a little bit of experience with like just these movies from Tom and Jerry, right? Um, but it has also been a number of years since I've seen those, so my thoughts on them would not be near nearly accurate to what I think now. Yeah. Uh I don't I don't know. Well I'll reserve judgment for whether I want to revisit any more of their movies, if you can mm -hmm. call them movies. Cause the first Tom and Jerry, when they go to Oz, it's only fifty six minutes long, so Right. I guess I guess that's a movie. I mean, doesn't the Academy consider a movie like at least 40 minutes or longer? Yeah, if it's 40 minutes or longer, it's considered feature length. Okay. All right. Well, Corbin, let's say you were a young lad back in 1993 uh, yes. and you saw this trailer. <laughs> Would it get you into the theater? What do you say? Well, if I was a young lad, if I was a kid then I would definitely be excited. Um, now, granted, they have to reveal large portions of the plot of the movie to showcase the exciting moments to get me excited. Um, so if I was a kid, yeah, I think this movie looks really exciting. I love Tom and Jerry. I would definitely be trying to nag my parents into taking me to go see it theatrically. Now, watching it as an adult, I... I can't even believe this is a trailer. This is like how you cut a trailer to get a child excited. Um, although I will say, I think they're trying to get adults on board by name dropping Henry Mancini. Yep. Because adults with kids at this point who had somewhat followed movies or movie scores and whatnot would know Henry Mancini. The guy, he won like four Oscars, nominated for 18. Breakfast at Tiffany's. He's just done tons of, tons of music. So right. a child isn't going to know who Henry Mancini is. So I thought that was pretty clever how they're like featuring all new original songs from, you know, Henry Mancini. Um, but, you know, as an adult, I think, wow, they made a theatrical movie. I love that cartoon when I was younger. 
And that's all I would think. And then I would never see it unless I would have kids to take me to see it. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. If I were a kid, I something kept me coming back to this. Maybe it was because my brother kept renting it. I have no clue. I don't remember <laughs> back that far. Um, but I mean, I wasn't in the theater, obviously, because I wasn't born yet. But if I was a kid seeing this trailer, I probably would be in the same position. Same position you would be in, Corbin. I would be like, that's interesting. I liked Tom and Jerry when I was a kid. Um, so I would want to see the movie, right? Now, seeing it as an adult, I think we're pretty much on the same page on both parts here. Not necessarily a big fan of that. You know, Henry Mancini, sure. What's he doing on a kid's movie, right? So you can't say I'd be very uh, hard-pressed to go and watch this one in a theater. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen Tom and Jerry, the movie, and you don't want the film spoiled for you, I'm going to go ahead and click pause. Go ahead and check out the film. It's it's pretty cheap. I got it on digital for like five bucks or something. Mm. So it's pretty cheap. So if you do want to go see the film, go ahead and check it out and then come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. So this was another interesting plot that was just kind of difficult to figure out like what I should and should it add in for the plot summary? Because sure. I feel like I could talk forever on <laughs> what all happens in this movie. <laughs> Um, because there are just so many like scenes, so many details, but then mm -hmm. I think I ended up trying to like really shrink it down. So yeah, hopefully this makes a, a bit of sense. All right. House cat, Tom and house, uh, rat Jerry go homeless after their owners leave them. <laughs> the pair find a runaway girl named Robin, an orphan girl who's in search for her father, who she believes is still alive. To make a long story short, her father had an accident while in Tibet and is presumed dead. She is living with her Aunt Fig, who desperately wants the trust fund that Robin's father had set up for her. Well, that begins to fall apart when Robin escapes for a second time after hearing that her father is alive and well, and is coming to get her. Aunt Fig and her lawyer Lickboot print a missing persons ad on milk cartons with a reward of $1 million. Well, this catches the eye of Captain Kitty and his puppet partner, Squawk, when Robin washes up on shore, separated from her friends. He traps Robin on the Ferris wheel from his theme park and phones Aunt Fig. Fig, Lickboot, and Dr. Applecheek and his henchmen, who showed up earlier in the film, they also want reimbursement for Tom and Jerry ruining his career, all race to grab Robin. However, Tom and Jerry find and then save Robin. The three of them hop on a boat and sail to Robin's Point, a lake house built by Robin's father. They were able to escape Dr. Applecheek, his henchmen, and Captain Kitty, but Aunt Fig and Lickboot arrive at the lake house before they do, separating the trio. In a skirmish, Robin knocks over an oil lamp, setting the house ablaze. Fig and Lickboot run for their lives, leaving Robin for dead. Tom and Jerry help their friend to the roof just as Robin's father arrives, saving his daughter. The pair survive when the house collapses and move in with Robin and her father. But it doesn't take long for Tom and Jerry to go at it once again as credits roll. That's it. That is the plot yeah. of this movie. That's uh, Tom and Jerry the movie. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a little familiar. I don't think it's terribly original. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about it. But first... Um, okay, first I gotta say I'm kind of surprised the way this movie opens because it does open up like a classic cartoon seemingly, except their owners, I guess, which you never really see in the original series, are moving. They're leaving. Their house is in the very middle of the city, like it's up or Stuart Little or something. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, the owners just abandoned them, which is kind of a surprising opening, but... Um, I do think it's a fun opening. I think it kind of draws audiences back into the original cartoon. 
Yeah, there are most definitely they're most definitely trying to harken on that, right? Like there's an opening sequence during the credits where they're kind of like reliving more or less those moments from those old Tom and Jerry cartoons, right? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to get the audience kind of settled back into, oh, yeah, I remember this when I was a kid kind of a feeling right. um, and then kind of dropping you right into like a big a big season of change for these characters where they're not going to be living with their owners anymore. They're going to be out in the street. So, yeah, it is an interesting opening. It does kind of get you into um, like the world that is going to be Tom and Jerry, the movie kind of gives you the feel like, okay, this is like, you know, it's a new animation style, right? It's not quite like how Hanna-Barbera did way back in the 40s, but it's at least, you know, similar to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. Um, the one major departure we we find out very early on is that these two characters now talk, which is something that's never happened before. And at least they address it. I was kind of worried. Um, because I remember when you told me about this movie, you said, yeah, Tom and Jerry talk, which is shocking mm-hmm. because these have always been silent characters, except maybe for a Yelp once in a while. But at right. least they address it and they try and make it seem organic um, for this movie. Uh, as far as I can tell, as far as I could find doing research, this is the only movie so far that they talk in. Uh, they've never talked in anything else. Right. Uh, the reason for that is because when this came out and the audience found that Tom and Jerry talk, there was pretty severe backlash uh, <laughs> when they did that. They oh, wanted right. to do they wanted the reason why they did it in the first place is they wanted to kind of do something different. Right. They, mm-hmm. so they figured um, that maybe if we make Tom and Jerry talk, maybe that would be like, you know, that the difference that they're looking for. Right. Well, there's a reason why I don't think that there are any other Tom and Jerry movies that have them talking. And this is a good reason why there was a lot of public backlash when they made that decision for this movie. But I will say the voice talents involved. These are all kind of veterans of the industry, you could say. Um, Richard Kind, he was in Inside Out as Bing Bong. Um, He's done a lot of live action stuff, too. He's worked on The Simpsons, Bombshell, Argo, A Bug's Life, um, Lick Boot, Tony J. He's Frollo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. He's in Beauty and the Beast. Um, Henry Gibson, he's great as well. So I, I Rip Taylor's in this. Also, Charlotte Ray as Aunt Fig. So, I mean, at least they're getting, I think, good voice talents. I think... The voice talents involved uh, do a pretty good job. I'm not crazy about um, Jerry's voice, but with everybody else, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I would I would agree. Like they got, you know, significant talent just kind of all around. It, it seems like I'm not the biggest fan of Tom's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mostly because I'm used to his scream from those original cartoons, which is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Um. So I just didn't imagine his voice being anywhere like what it is in the movie. But uh, I think all the way around, not just actor wise, but also when it comes to composer and director, like we talked about, you know, there's a, some pretty significant talent just involved in this film, mm-hmm. um, just in general. Yeah. My wife thought that Jerry was uh, voiced by Millhouse in The Simpsons, and I gotta oh, yeah. say, I gotta say, he he does sound like that. Um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean. I guess I'll address it now. I wish they didn't talk. I don't think they need to talk. Um, 
it's not going to just utterly ruin the movie for me. So I was mm -hmm. going with this brand new conceit that, yeah, they actually just haven't talked this whole time. Okay, let me see where they can go with it. Uh, that that doesn't make or break the movie for me. I don't really like it, and I don't think their voices are particularly great or like memorable or anything, but they are just kind of generic, cartoonish style um, voices. Um, the other thing I will say is this movie is surprisingly dark. So the original cartoon isn't necessarily dark, but it is kind of violent because they're always beaten up on each other, but it's in a slapstick style way, like a Marx Brothers or Three Stooges type of way. This is dark in the fact that it is showing that this very innocent child is being preyed upon by adults. And this mm -hmm. child just doesn't understand the adult world. Child doesn't understand greed. Mostly this is all about kind of um greed and uh yeah, I guess that's probably the main driving force of all of these adults. But they portray that to a child and I guess I do like that because it teaches children that things aren't always as they seem. You can't always trust adults. Adults don't always have your best interest at heart or the purest of motives. Even if some of them seem nice, some of them ultimately it will come down to what they want. Um, so yeah, there's some dark stuff in here. There's a really scary transition scene of Dr. Applecheek menacingly yeah. approaching the ice cream bike. And yeah. then, then when Aunt Fig looks at Robin, she's just like, daddy is dead. I'm like, oh, oh, dang. Whoa. Okay. We're going there. <laughs> yep. That's probably the biggest, probably the best example as like, you know, how far this film goes. When Aunt Fig is like, daddy is dead, right? That's where it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, going there in a kid's film. All right. Yeah. So it, you're right. It does have some darker elements to it, um, which, you know, is interesting for a film like this right now you're right the tom and jerry also was violent in and of itself but that was mostly just slapstick between the main characters that being tom and jerry now one of the other things too kind of like you were talking about when it comes to greed it, there is definitely like this message of friendship right and how you know putting aside your differences is going to make you a lot more productive than if you were to not do so yeah, we kind of see that through the characters of Tom and Jerry. Like that's like their main arc is they need to learn to work together and cooperate in order to, you know, to fulfill some kind of uh, to, uh, to help out Robin. Right. That's their end goal, apparently. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a bit. But either way, it, you know, it is kind of interesting, especially in the final scene or one of the final scenes when they're all trying to chase down Robin, how everyone has like a pair almost. Right. Because you've got. Uh, Captain Kitty and his uh, sock puppet <laughs> Squawk. You've got uh, Fig and Lick Boot together. You had um, Dr. Applecheek and his henchmen together, but they split apart. So it's almost like everyone has a pair, and you, you get to see how, you know, even when it gets to the very end of the story, if you have a pair, but you're only in it to get something out of it, then it doesn't last, right? So that's also something interesting that I found watching it this time that I, I never really thought about is if you're in if you're like a friend if you're friends with somebody and you're only friends with them to get something then it's not going to last yeah there is that good kind of message of you know kind of this uh selfless type of sacrifice between these characters where they have to work together they don't need to help robin because they're not really getting anything out of it ultimately mm -hmm. in the end they are rewarded but that's not really their goal whereas people that are just looking to get rewarded and take the easy way to get it 
um, I guess what, what's the old saying? Cheaters never prosper. So right. that's ultimately what we're left with, with that. So I do at least appreciate that they're making a kid's film that a child can watch and the child can take away very basic messages about good and evil, right and wrong. You know, this is what we're supposed to do to help. So, I mean, I appreciate it's kind of just, you know, at least it's not all for naught as far as that right. goes. Right. I agree. Um, did you have a favorite song in this movie? Alan, you didn't warn me this was a musical. <laughs> so. I didn't. You're right. Because I <laughs> forgot that it was a musical. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that explains it. Um, my favorite song I did. So I did listen to the soundtrack after I watched the movie on like its oh. own. Right. Well, kind of hard to find. Um, but I did because yeah. I was curious to know like what it really sounded like. Right, because sure. as we've noted before, songs in the movie sometimes sound a little bit different than when they're just like on the album. My favorite song is probably going to be Dr. Applecheek's song, but I think that's okay. because it has a lot of variance to it, right? It swaps between like more of a melancholy piano piece into something a bit more different. Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite out of the sound out of the ones that are at least in the movie. My favorite song is probably Robin Solo. I think that's mm-hmm. a pretty good one. It's a very kind of nice thoughtful imagery along with good lyrics and the vocals are pretty good too so that was probably the one that i felt was pretty good um the second best for me was probably the money song um Mm -hmm. i didn't really like the imagery that went along with it but the those two vocals going together and there is kind of this very sinister back and forth going on between it um I'm not going to go buy these songs or hunt them down to listen to, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, they're pretty good. Um, Apple Cheek's song, I don't think made much of an impression on me, but it is another very dark song with a dark twist to it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of singing in that. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute. Yeah. Um, the only other one that I thought was kind of hilariously bad was the Alley Cat song. Where- oh, yeah. We'll talk about that song. <laughs> okay okay we'll leave it we'll leave it but um, all right did you have anything else positive to say i do uh oh. i i'm curious what do you think of not just necessarily the the musical numbers but what about just like the score itself the composition did it stick out to you at all not really <laughs> not, not at all okay not really i mean i will say I, I get henry mancini did it and i do think some of it is good but it wasn't enough. I think there there's just too much crammed in here, like in such close quarters to me for me to kind of separate it all together, if that makes sense. That's that's fair. Yeah, uh, I can say that I think it's above average from a movie like this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's not Disney level. Don't get no. me wrong. <laughs> no. But I, I will say that there are again, I went through and I listened to the Society soundtrack on its own outside of the film and there are a couple of tracks that do stand out to me i don't think the main theme for tom and jerry is necessarily all that great but it's at least competent right like they actually put something into this film right at least they did that most of the time we get a movie like this they don't even do that and music is just there as filler so that and uh the when they are escaping the fire at the end of the story or at the end of the movie that one's also that one also stuck out to me Oh, okay. So I'll yeah. say that it's not great, 
but at least I at least I noticed it this time, right? And sure. now part of that could just be because of nostalgia, but at least I did notice it. Otherwise, you know, movies like this, I wouldn't have, I don't think. Speaking of Disney level, what did you think of the animation in this movie? I'm pretty curious your thoughts on how it's animated. So I guess same with the music. It's above average, kind of. <laughs> Not necessarily, not anywhere close to Disney. It's kind of, it's kind of almost like an unfair advantage to to compare it to Disney. But that's kind of what it was also going for at the same time. So it's kind of hard not to. Plus, Aladdin also came out the same year too. So there's that. Um, It's above average, barely, but it's above average. It's not horrible. I'll I'll say this: comparing it now to what we would get from something like a lot of DC animated movies, like. The Killing Joke, for example, I think this like looks and moves a little bit better than those would. But those are also like made for TV. So, yeah, I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, some of the just computer animation they do now, like you said, those direct to video type stuff. I hate it. I think it looks awful. It's mm-hmm. truly awful. I mean, I'd probably say the best animated stuff that I've seen is stuff we've reviewed like Akira and um Jinro the Wolf Brigade that animation is just gorgeous um right the Hayao Miyazaki movies this is nowhere near those levels at all um to me I will say this is probably barely above what we what you would see on TV at the time in the 90s it felt very reminiscent of 90s TV animation um trust me I've seen a lot of it um especially a lot of the stuff that comes out of Warner Brothers it really looked like it was kind of on par with some Looney Tunes, Animaniacs. Um, I don't think it's as good as Batman the Animated Series, maybe more like Superman and whatnot. Um, I'm not crazy about it. I I was really kind of disappointed. I was hoping it would be a little better because I think Disney animation is far superior um, and it had been for a long time, long time. Right. And like I said, I... It, it's kind of hard and kind of you know unfair to compare it against Disney um, because they are like when it comes to something like this, they're like the kings more or less. And mm-hmm. my memory from my memory painted this to be more of like it was made for TV or it was made to go direct to video. Only when I did research for this film that I find out that that's not necessarily the case. It did get a theatrical release, so yeah, uh, for getting a theatrical release even though it wasn't very a very good return, the animation does not really stack up. Yeah, but you're right. There is a very kind of made-for-TV element to this. And I honestly think they probably could have dropped this on TV. And it, I, don't, I think it would have been probably maybe even a little better received than it would theatrically. There's just a certain standard that I don't think was met. Um, one of the things that I was really shocked about and just kind of, honestly shocked and frustrated this is dangerously close to plagiarizing disney's 1977 the rescuers have you seen the rescuers i have seen pieces of the rescuers but i haven't actually watched it all the way through okay so for those who haven't seen the rescuers there's that first one and then the sequel the rescuers down under it's that about- one i've seen i've oh, seen yeah. the sequel like a number of times oh yeah i watched it all the time when i was a kid also so the rescuers is about two mice that find a little girl named Penny who is also an orphan and she is under the control of Madame Medusa who is using her 
to get a jewel, get these like um, jewels from this pirate chest down in the bayou. And Madame Medusa has two alligators for henchmen, which are a little more, you know, frightening than a fat wiener dog on a skateboard. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I will also say this also has a lot of um, influences from 101 Dalmatians. Particularly, uh, Doctor Applecheek's kidnap kidnapping plot, um, mm-hmm. because there's Jasper and Horace from Dalmatians, who one's tall and one is short and fat, and they steal animals to profit off of that. Um, yep. So I'm just saying, Rescuers came out 15 years before this movie, and 101 Dalmatians came out sometime in the 60s. I'm just thinking they're probably like, ah, oh, those Disney movies are in the vault and people um, have just started to get VHSs. They don't remember that. We'll just go ahead and recycle plot elements. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Now you mentioned uh, those, the henchmen from uh, 101 Dalmatians. You're right. I, now that I'm, now that you're mentioning it, you know, I was wondering why they look so familiar. Even when I was a kid, I was like, why do they look so familiar? (laughs) (laughs) That now it makes sense. Now it makes sense kind of where that maybe where it looks like it was cribbed off of was 101 Dalmatians. (laughs) And it's kind of funny because they're like, we'll just keep masks on these characters the whole time. So there's no way they could ever say we we copied off of them. But yeah, and just this whole um, plot in general, I think, is wildly cliche having a child that holds the key to something and nefarious adults trying to use the child and the child finds comfort and aid in talking creatures. It is just the most generic plot you can think of. That's just like the nineties when it came to <laughs> kids movies that came yeah. out in the theater, right? That's Absolutely. like pretty much everything that you would find the nineties just in general. Yeah. It's always really perilous. It seems yep. like. Yep. Um, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm a little disappointed about though, is that all of the adults are evil or opportunistic, except Robin's dad. Even mm-hmm. Captain Kitty, who seems like he would be a friend, he's still opportunistic. And I am kind of like, well, now you're going to teach kids to like not trust anyone at all. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you shouldn't. Only, you should only trust your parents at that young of an age, probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And they're also not to mention that dad's like hardly in it. And for most of the movie, we think that he's dead. <laughs> so when he does show up, he plays like such an insignificant role um, that it's even kind of hard to say that he's some kind of role model, I guess, um, because we spend so little time with him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of a nice sentiment is that you can look up to your parent no matter what trouble you're in. They will come and save the day. I, I think that's a nice thought. But yeah, yeah. Th- he doesn't have enough in it at all. and. Spoiler alert, in The Rescuers, Penny is actually an orphan. She doesn't have any parents come to save the day. So she Mm -hmm. really kind of has to rely on herself and the two little mice to help her. But, okay, I've kind of treated this, you know, with kid gloves a little bit from now on. But here on out, I got to really pick apart some of these problems that I have with it. And I would probably say my my first real trouble with this is I will say the musical numbers. There are far too many of them. They come way too close in succession. And they're not, especially the first couple, really aren't that different from each other, I would say, um, to really differentiate them. 
Um, yeah, I was watching this with my wife. As soon as they started singing, 10 minutes in, she's out. And, oh, no. Yeah, and then we get the Alley Cat song just a couple minutes later. I'm like, oh, my gosh. We're really mm-hmm. getting another song a couple minutes later? Um, and, you know, we get a dog and a flea wearing clothes. I'm like, what kind of a movie is this? What are they doing? So, I don't know. The music kind of really messed it up. I really didn't think this movie needed to be a musical. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm kind of with you. Um, I do remember a good majority of these songs. I do remember the first one um, with Pugsy and Frankie. I do remember kind of um, the song that Li- uh, Fig and Lick Boot sing. I hardly remembered the song from Dr. Applecheek, but I knew that he sang one. So I had vague memories, right, of what songs were sung. I forgot that Robin Hedder song. I forgot the Alley Cat song. I, I remembered pieces from it. I forgot it was from the song. So, yeah, I'm with you. There are a lot of musical numbers in this story. Now, usually when it comes to like a musical, and I think we can agree that this is very much a musical. Um, yeah, absolutely. I would say there's like an unwritten rule, more or less, <laughs> that when your characters can't like express what they're trying to say through dialogue, they sing, and then when they can't express it through singing, then they dance, right? That's kind of like the unwritten rule of a musical, right? That doesn't really happen in this story. I mean, most of these songs, actually, I think a majority of these songs are just introductions to characters, Right when we first meet Frankie and Pugsy, they their song is like an introduction to them, but also somewhat sets up the arc for Tom and Jerry. When we meet Fig and Lickboot for the first time, they sing a song. We meet Captain Kitty for the first time, he sings a song. Right, which is all fine and good, but the Alley Cats do nothing in the story, so that kind of breaks that musical rule because they show up for that one scene, do sing only that one song, and then they disappear for the rest of the film. So it's like. Uh, fine, great, right? Because when it comes to, like it being a musical, it doesn't exactly follow those same musical rules, it feels like. Yeah, and I mean, Disney has been doing this for a long time with all of their animated movies and music. Is right. As you were saying, it's more of a way to get kids to understand these characters' motives and somewhat about their feelings and emotions. And... These musical numbers can get kind of fantastical, particularly the one about money, where it shows mm-hmm. them dressed up and kind of daydreaming about what they would do with all these giant you know, bags of money and whatnot. I don't have much of a problem with that per se, but nevertheless, it is like you said. Um, yeah, it is kind of weird because these are kind of introducing the characters and their motives and what they actually do. Like we get that with Apple Cheek and then Captain Kitty has to give this, you know, egregious song about what he does and whatnot um yeah you're right you're completely right and speaking of extraneous characters this movie does have a real issue with that i would say of just throwing things in there just to maybe pad the runtime or something um Mm -hmm. because i did put in my notes do these alley cats come back into the story because you shouldn't ever introduce something in act one and then not have it follow up in act three. And I thought, Oh, they'll probably like come back and like help them out and be on their side or nope. No, it's just extraneous. And one of them's giant. First of all. Yep. One of them is like a giant cat. Uh, my wife was like, what is that thing? <laughs> she said it's it looked a, like blue the bear. 
It's a uh, it's the uh, ghetto version of Big the Cat. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, there's just so much stuff. I mean, the burglars are really pointless because mm-hmm. they steal that. And even Dr. Applecheek is just another wrench in the gears just to slow things down. He ultimately achieves nothing, doesn't go anywhere. Um, it really is just to make the plot a little more complex uh, because it's so simple. Um, yep. And of course, there has to be an evil animal as well. The stupid fat wiener dog on a skateboard, which is just weird. Which basically nothing. <laughs> It's basically nothing. I yeah. gotta know your thoughts on Captain Kitty because I got some, I got some words to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Captain Kitty. Uh, thinking back on it now, I guess even when I was a kid, I always forgot that you know. Oh yeah, the Captain Kitty scene, right? Thinking back on it now, it's weird. Right, this guy who happens to have this theme park in the middle of nowhere that has no traffic at all. And no other employees. Right, no other employees. He runs it all himself. Apparently he had a road show at one point or is or is currently touring or whatever. Takes in Robin and sticks her up in a, the top of a Ferris wheel because he wants to win back money. That's weird, okay? Like, and I understand that like, they're trying to go for weird just in general because mm-hmm. he even has like a, a puppet as a sidekick named Squawk, right? That's, of course, he's it's attached to his own arm, right? So it's like, it's already going for weird. But it's just, it gets to a point where it's like, it's almost uncomfortably weird with yeah. him and like the situation that he's in. Yeah, I mean, can you say sex predator? Yeah. He, literally one of the lines is, all little girls like milk and cookies and milk and cookies is all we got. Uh, yeah, he, for his name is Captain Kitty, like mm-hmm. K-I-D-D-I-E. The guy's a total sex predator, super creepy, how he's like holding this little girl there. He's talking with his, apparently he's got multiple personality disorder. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it really makes you feel uncomfortable after a while. And I don't know, it, it, it does, um, I feel like it honestly goes a little too dark, actually, with this poor little girl how she has this really psychotic aunt and this lawyer and then this pervert and then this guy that harms animals. And it's just like, oh, dang, man, like everybody around here is just super evil, I guess, um, or it's just super twisted. Um, mm-hmm. It's really bizarre. And he has the I'll say he probably has the worst song. I hated it. It was so generic. And he's also drinking. Talk about sloppy writing. He's drinking from a milk carton that went to production a few days prior. And Tom and Jerry deduce that Penny is nearby because of the milk carton. Right. Yeah. He taught what, what happens. He tosses it. Right. Yeah. And he they found they find it because it lands right next to them. Just happens to. <laughs> also, by the way, uh, somewhere some at some point in this timeline of the story, Lickboot and Fig get together. They print a bunch of milk cartons, which just so happens that Captain Kitty had bought one of those. I don't know when they did that, but apparently it was sometime in the recent yeah. where they did that. And it just so happened that he had bought a milk carton at the right time to find the missing person ad on it for $1 million. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I really do think the third act gets incredibly sloppy at that point. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. just so bad. I mean, I think there's almost kind of like two climaxes where mm-hmm. they're doing this big chase. And then the fire in the house and escaping from the house on fire. 
I thought the chase where they're on the riverboat was not really good at all. And even that rips off Cruella DeVille chasing down the dogs at the end of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. It almost feels like it's also a little bit of a rip on Mad 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 World. Uh, it really just all uh, isn't exciting. I don't find it exciting at all. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to go back just a little bit, just in general. Um, you were saying how... What was it? You, oh, yeah, you, we were talking about the Alley Cat song, or just the Alley Cat scene in general, right? Mm-hmm. How it's just kind of pointless. Yeah. Um, that it's kind of like a like one of the things of this movie is it gets sidetracked. I feel a lot, right? Oh. <laughs> Where it has like a main plot to go for, uh, but then something happens and they can't do it until they like a good example is with Doctor Applecheek. You could basically write Doctor Applecheek completely out of the story, and the only thing it would save you was probably about 10, 15 minutes at the most, of a story, of a movie that's hardly an hour and 20 minutes to begin with. So that's kind of the big thing is, like, if you write out Dr. Applecheek, well, then we might as well take out the Alley Cats. And then we can probably take out Captain Kitty because he's weird and it doesn't really cause too much of, a, of an issue. Nope. Nothing really in the story really fits together, I feel, in a cohesive way. Everything feels like it's just more or less happenstance that this happened at this point and they're this person, like, with the Doctor. So... That's why I'm saying, like, this movie likes to get sidetracked. There are so many things that it wants to do, I guess, that it keeps trying to do them and somehow will some way get the plot to go in that direction. Um, And then things just don't feel like they fit together very well. Yeah, even, like, the dog and the flea that they meet in the alley that wear clothes, they're completely extraneous characters that Mm -hmm. don't aid them whatsoever um they basically teach them to be friends like i guess a flea would be a dog's enemy so they say hey you know you should be friends i think the characters can learn that on their own without through just natural circumstances without a dumb musical number and these weirdly dressed creatures and yeah i mean you think uh they do get captured and they're taken to dr Applecheek's basement and you think oh maybe like um, the flea will get them out because he can fit through the cage. I guess he doesn't weigh enough. So, mm-hmm. and you're right. It is kind of disappointing because with Dr. Applecheek, he does keep Tom and Jerry hostage and that's where they meet up with the dog and the flea and then they part ways once again. Right. And then we have to have an extra scene at the end of them riding a train out of town or something that go that it just does nothing. I mean, who cares? And um, they escape from Dr. Applecheeks so easily. It's so disappointing how simple it is for them to just have Jerry just pop out and press a button and then they all run out. Um, right. That also did make me think of, did you, I, you probably didn't, did you ever see the Madeline movie? Not, not the one with Francis McDormand. I think I've seen parts of it. I remember the books. I think I've seen parts of that movie. I think there was also like a TV show at one point of it, I think. Yeah, it was a TV series from 89 to 2000. So the movie, the animated one came out in 88 and the live action one was 98. They're kind of similar, but um, it's also where Madeline is taken in by this nefarious lady who makes them work in a sweatshop so as you were mm-hmm. saying alan these these plots are just recycled over and over again of nefarious adults mistreating children right right and the other thing too is that even the character of robin how much does how how important is she really right like i i hate to ask that because she's the main character but 
how important is Robin's story, like, really? Like, sure, they end up having to work together to save Robin in the end, or whatever. And they she wouldn't get to see her dad um, unless, Ro- unless they weren't there. But, like, how much does that really impact Tom and Jerry? It feels, again, it feels like it's there because it, there's a connection because they need to learn that lesson. But, you know, to, to what extent, right? Like, how big of a deal is it really? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they learn. I mean, all they do is help her escape from Aunt Fig, and then she gets captured by Captain Kitty, and then she gets captured in the house. Tom does throw her a rope to escape from the burning building. Um, yeah, it's just all... It's just like, hey, we need our two characters to find a child in peril. I guess the kids can't connect with the animals, so they need a kid of their own age to connect with, I guess. So it's all it's all thrown together so much. They just meet a random girl under a bridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, like I said, even the whole entire premise doesn't make sense. Why in the world would their owners leave their cat behind? I mean... And then you, and then the next creature they meet is a dog whose owner left him behind. I mean, what is this lady in the tramp? Come on, right, right. I guess what I'm asking is like, you know, what connection does that? That's kind of the big thing for me is like, what you know, what connection does uh, does Robin have to these characters? What what does you know, getting her to see her dad at the end of the story really achieve for our main characters? Uh, I mean, sure, they learn to cooperate. Um, but that's really about it, right? The, the, the lesson of the movie is, you know, learn to cooperate with somebody despite having numerous differences will be more for you. It's going to be more beneficial um, and going to feel it's going to earn you more than if you were to do something just to get something out of them, right? That's essentially the message of the film. But I feel like there's just a weak connection between Tom and Jerry and the character of Robin. Right. They well, in order to work together, because the dog and flea say you need to learn to work together. Well, mm-hmm. work together on what? Well, we just so happen to found find an orphan girl who is being taken advantage of by all of these adults. So we will have to work together in order to help her to live, make her life better. Yeah, I mean, it, it is really basic and thrown together and all purely coincidental. It just doesn't make any sense. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Robin is the reason that they have to work together. And I guess that's the lesson they learn, I guess. Right. So Uh, then I asked the question, like then, then why Tom and Jerry, right? Like why did this movie have to be with Tom and Jerry? And I kind of understand why, right. That, that lesson of learning to work together, despite your differences, that's what Tom and Jerry have literally been about, right? The, the conflict between those two characters has always been the driving force for every like episode or short that is Tom and Jerry, right? That's like the whole reason it exists. Right. So making that as like the plot to go forward is an interesting move um, where essentially that conflict between the two characters uh, Basically, he's not in the way that those old cartoons have it doesn't exist in this in, in a way. So in, it's an interesting move to go down that route. I don't know how much I, you know, like it, but no, it sure course, is interesting. There's no satisfying payoff. I mean, there's tiny little hijinks where they mess with each other. 
but I, ultimately you can't really make a movie out of that that's why they were shorts that's why they were like five minute shorts and there's like two mm-hmm. or three of them packed into one episode uh, it, it just yeah. doesn't work as a movie and so this is what i was going to say that you brought you may help you remember this is what i was going to say at the beginning of the podcast but i saved it for now this movie does not need to be with tom and jerry you're you're exactly right it's not pulling anything from those characters that we know that we want to see them grow or do differently. This is Warner Brothers pulling just something from their catalog. As you're saying, we got to get in on this cash grab. We've got All Dogs Go to Heaven. We've got Balto going on. What what um, little creatures could we pull out from our catalog and stick into a generic film? Oh, okay. Just pull out Tom and Jerry and animate them in. This could be any other animated characters honestly and yeah there's no reason for that to be in there except they're like tom and jerry has name recognition and we want money they're like aunt fig warner brothers is like aunt fig and they just want the money Mm -hmm. and it didn't work it backfired just like in the movie (laughs) you're you're absolutely right and and that's it's kind of turned into like a scooby-doo kind of thing right because there are who knows how many movies Scooby-Doo movies that are being made now, and they just keep coming out. Like it's like once every year they make one that goes straight to DVD. Um, it kind of it's kind of become something like that. Tom and Jerry has not quite to the extent, obviously, of of Scooby-Doo, uh, but it feels like it's on the same track, and they're owned by the same company, Hanna Barbera. So, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are other franchises like Tom and Jerry or like Scooby-Doo that are on the same route. But you're absolutely right, Corbin. Right? It's you know in why did why do we have to use Tom and Jerry for this story, right? How do you make a Tom and Jerry movie? There's a good probably a good reason why it took them uh, who knows how many years since they stopped make since they stopped producing the shorts to this being produced, right? There's probably a good reason why they you know didn't make something until now, and I know part of it was that uh, they couldn't find a good enough script. Uh, for Hannah or Barbera that for them to hop on and actually go along with it. So I guess, I guess the question really ends up like, you know, why? Why in the world would they make something like this with two characters whose longest short is maybe seven, eight, nine minutes? Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. And I think they figured out that's why all of these subsequent directed DVD ones because I was watching Tom and Jerry back to Oz. They have nothing to do with it, pretty much. It mm-hmm. is, it's all, uh, it's all a retelling of the Wizard of Oz in animated form or Willy Wonka in animated form, Jack and the Beanstalk, Fast and the Furious. It's literally just retellings of those essentially, but with Tom and Jerry, just so they could put their name recognition on it. It almost feels like what the asylum does at a certain point. Where mm-hmm. we're not getting transformers, we're getting like transmorphers or something. It's just close enough that people would be curious. Oh wait, I like Fast and the Furious. Maybe this will be something interesting for my kid to watch. And right. I honestly couldn't believe it when I was watching the Wizard of Oz one because I'm like, this is literally the Wizard of Oz in animation with Tom and Jerry just stenciled onto the screen. And yeah, they have nothing to do. We didn't need them in the original, you know, Wizard of Oz movie in the 30s. We don't need them now. It's just, right. It, I don't know. I guess it's all about money. I guess they're making money from it. It's really disappointing. It's not great. 
Right. So that makes me scared for next week. Let's just leave it at that. No. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have fears about next week, but uh, I will save those for when we actually review that film next week. One last thing before we close out the review. I got to say, I didn't find this movie funny. Um, they really tried to go for some jokes here. Something about Tibet and Cleveland. And it's always a red button. Uh, everything Kitty says is supposed to be a joke. This isn't funny at all. Honestly, why would a kid laugh as Tibet? That's farther than Cleveland. Mm-hmm. What? How is that? Funny? And I mean, also, you're missing the like what made Tom and Jerry so funny in the first place. And that's the slapstick part of the whole of, of, of it's a slapstick part of them, right? That's yeah. how they slam into each other or beat the other person <laughs> up that makes Tom and Jerry so funny. It's kind of morbid to think about. It's all about the violence, but that is what made Tom and Jerry as funny as it was, was the conflict between these two characters and then how they played off of that. We didn't really get any much of that. There's not much of that here at all. No, and what it what is here is it's really short-lived because they're too concerned with the adult story. Well, not the, yeah, the story about the adults and the child. And Tom and Jerry take a back seat to that, like they seem to do with everything. And right. they are here. It's Duex, Tom and Jerry, I guess. Yeah. It, yeah. It, they are there just to throw Penny a rope to escape from the fire at the, at the burning house at the very end. And you're right. That is disappointing. They didn't figure out a way to do something better with these characters. It's so sloppy and thrown together. It's so unfortunate. But Alan, oh dear, I'm... I'm I'm curious. What is your rating and recommendation for Tom and Jerry the movie? Coming in the Tom and Jerry the movie, I I, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I had memories of what this movie was, and I remember it from remembering it now that I'm an adult, not being so great. Um, there were a lot of things that I, that I didn't like about it when I was a kid. And those, uh, most of my fears were pretty much on point, um, though I still went in with an open mind. I did find more here than I thought I ever would, right? But that's not enough, right? I, that, I still linger with that question of, you know, why? Why Tom and Jerry in this movie? Why a Tom and Jerry movie in general? How do you make a Tom and Jerry movie at all, right? And I'm still left asking that question. This movie did not answer that question for me of why. Why in the world would they make a Tom and Jerry the movie? So, yeah, I can't say I would ever recommend this. It's not really worth the time. But n- no, there it's got some everything about the best parts about this movie is just hardly above average. Its music is above average. Its animation is above average. But its story is completely in the tanks. It's not really worth your time. So can't say I recommend it. I'm going to say it's a three out of ten. A most definite not recommend. Tom and Jerry the movie is quite sad actually <laughs> when i got home from middle school or on one of my days off for a sick day you know just watching that really did help get me through middle school and as i said at the beginning i really hated middle school i just there's had so many problems there but the simple pleasure of this show really brought joy to my life at that time so learning there was a theatrical animated film with these characters seriously piqued my interest maybe i had overlooked a lost gem Sadly, <laughs> that isn't the case at all. What we're given is not even a generic story. I mean, yes, we do have these generic characters and semi-archetypal situations, but this is a straight-up ripoff of so many Disney films. I mean, I, I gotta say, it's—it's. It's, I'm almost gonna say it's plagiarism. 
I mean, with some of these character designs on Fig, looks like a character design of Madame Medusa from Rescuers and Medusa from The Little Mermaid. And just so many of these songs, it's just so disappointing. But I was shocked how cliche this plot is. A lost, downtrodden child who is taken advantage of by nefarious adults finds solace and success in talking animals. And she's like the only one that can talk to the animals, I guess. Nobody else can. And I don't even, the, the wiener dog can barely talk to. But my gosh, that describes like every animated flick in the late 70s, 80s, and 90s. The reason I'm extra hard on this movie is because the plot has already been done to death at this point. I understand I have the advantage of perspective, but all I could think about was how I would prefer to watch The Rescuers. The animation is barely above TV standards here. The musical numbers range from the egregious to barely catchy. And dare I address the cardinal sin of giving voice to our beloved feline and rodent? Ugh, I understand I am far out of the demographic for this film. I think the original cartoon is for all ages, whereas this is directly made for children. I'm sure kids will like it. I can't say it'll stick with, with them, whereas I've remembered certain animated features even into my adulthood. At the very least, I was hoping this would be a family movie so everyone could find something to enjoy, and I really can't. There are some good things here, but not enough to redeem this movie. Tom and Jerry, the movie, receives two stars out of ten, with my strongest not recommend. Oh man, two stars, wow. You know, Alan, I almost gave this a one out of ten, but I thought- Really? Really, honest to goodness, when I shut that movie off, I was reaching for the one. But then I thought, there's a couple things here that I liked, so I can't go that far. So just those couple things bumped it up to a two. But uh, yeah, <laughs> this movie's bad. It's yeah. So bad. Yeah, and I, I can honestly say that I did consider giving it a higher score. And most of that would have been because I do have, I do come in with a lot of nostalgia for this film. But sure. it wasn't enough to give it a higher score than a three. So, so that I guess does, that says something. That does make me wonder, since you do have more nostalgia for it, would you ever consider purchasing this movie maybe to show your kids someday or just to have? I don't know. I'm curious. Maybe. <laughs> um, that's the most, that's a big maybe. Um, it, and if I were to buy it, it would literally only be because I have nostalgia for it. Um, looking at it now, like on a deeper level than I normally would for a review, um, I see now more of its faults. Uh, you know, however many there are. So maybe I don't even think it's on Blu ray. Um, but yeah, it's a maybe. Yeah, from what I could tell, I think it's not on Blu-ray. The DVD was going to be more expensive than the like the movies anywhere copy or whatever. So okay, it was on Prime for four ninety nine, and I had some Amazon credits, and yeah. so it it cost me maybe a dollar. Um, and yeah, that's the only reason I bought it was because I knew we needed to get our hands on it for this review, and I thought. Okay, I'll I'll give up a dollar and because it was going to be cheaper to own it than it would be to rent it. And now I own it. I can show my brothers in law who are little. I can show my children someday, I guess, if they're hankering for something. I guess I've got another piece of content that they can watch. And that's yeah, 
So I, it's in my collection. <laughs> yeah. Well, Alan, what other film or TV recommendations do you have? So I have two, technically three recommendations. Um, the original Land Before Time. Oh, I think yeah. this came out in like the late 80s, if I remember correctly. Yeah, sounds right. Um, and then another film I grew up with, All Dogs Go to Heaven 1 and 2. Mostly two. I've seen two the most. Um, that's I. It was also another one along with Tom and Jerry, the movie that I just watched who knows how many times from the rental store. Um, so those are the two, technically three, that I would recommend. Yeah. Yeah, those make sense. So you're right. Um, well, the first one you said came out in 88. All Dogs Go to Heaven came out in 89. Oh, yeah, 96. Yeah. So all in that time period. Yeah. I also looked up uh, Balto. Do you kind of remember? I kind of remember Balto. Oh, yeah. I watched that in school. That came out in 95. So my recommends are going to be, as I've talked about a lot, The Rescuers. I think if you're looking for a similar story, but that's done far better, is The Rescuers. I think that's a great Disney movie. I revisited it not that long ago. And the other one I'm going to recommend is An American Tale. Not T-A-L-E, but T-A-I-L, which is also about a mouse coming to America during like the early 1900s or something. Have you heard of it, Alan? Was it An American Tale? Yeah, An American Tale. There's like three or four of them. Let me take a look here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know these. It's Don Bluth. Yeah. That's why. I yeah. Yeah, I, I know these. Yeah, Don there's yeah. Uh, Feifel Goes West, the sequel, The Treasure of Manhattan Island, The Mystery of the Night Monster. So, yeah, I've seen a couple of these. I watched this at my grandma's house all the time and also played the computer game on her with the old CD-ROM on her computer. Yeah, CD-ROM. There is some, I like the animation in that. The It's a lot better and funnier from what I remember. And there's a pretty scary monster mouse at the end. Um, I guess critics hate it. It's got a 38 meta score, but whatever. <laughs> it does have a 6.9 on IMDb, which is way higher than this movie. Right. And it has Christopher Plummer in it. So Christopher Plummer also was a voice in the Madeline movie. I'm also going to recommend the Madeline um, animated film as well. I watched that a lot as a kid. Uh, I, have, I haven't revisited it. Okay. So, but from what I remember, I remembered liking it and definitely check out the live action one with Francis McDormand. I think that's kind of a sweet one from the 90s as well. So what I can say is that from what I saw of Tom and Jerry back to Oz, I'm going to recommend that one over this one. I haven't finished it because I realized I had better things to do with my life. Hey. But nevertheless, it was actually the animation was better. Um, the story was interesting. Jason Alexander is the gnome king. So I was pretty interested with it and it, it was definitely keeping my attention, um, especially for like the 30th sequel or whatever. But mm -hmm. yeah, so, um, next week we are going to be reviewing, I guess it's just called Tom and Jerry. They're just yep. keeping it simple. Tom and Jerry 2021. Um, that'll be an interesting one because how many times have we seen a movie like this uh, where the cartoon character is walking around in the real world? Maybe there's something, di maybe there's something different with it. Maybe it'll be something that we haven't seen before. Um, yeah, I'm curious. Dream. Yeah, 
I'm going to ask that question again. You know, what can you do with a Tom and Jerry movie? You know, what what is it that these characters can do that can make a feature length film? Maybe they'll answer my question in that movie. We'll see. Well, it's a uh, it's directed by Tim Story, who uh, brought us the Fantastic Four movie of 2005. He brought us the Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah movie Taxi, which I've heard is just one of the worst movies ever. Oof. Um, the original Barbershop, Shaft 2019, right along to this isn't promising, Alan. This is not promising. Wait, but he's rumored or it's announced that he's doing home uh right along three, so there is still hope. Oh, well, in if that you case, you want to consider it that. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, listeners, the film came out February 26th. You have already seen it at this point. It's on HBO Max for a limited time. That's how we're watching it. So we are coming to it after you have seen it, making sure everybody had enough time to see it before we reviewed it and spoiled all of the wonderful things I'm sure are in it. Oh, gosh. But <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm intrigued. Worst case scenario, it's on par with the Smurfs movie, which is pretty awful. That's all I can that's all I can think of. That's all I'm worried about is it's going to be like the Smurfs. That's not that's not a lot of hope. It's <laughs> not a lot of hope. Oh dear. Alright, well what the question of the show is how do you make a Tom and Jerry movie? How would you make a Tom and Jerry movie? That's the question after the show. That's a so. good one. My my question is is it a worthy continuation or does it tarnish the original? You clearly know what we think. Yeah, that's that's a good one too. But yeah, I'm I'm curious. That's a good question, Alan. How would you make this a good movie? Because clearly we mm-hmm. think these people failed. Yeah. But maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised next week and right. they'll do maybe it. Maybe next week we'll hold the answer. I'm trying Can't not to get say my hopes exactly. But yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Alright. Well, Corbin, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, well, we'll see you next week with 2021's Tom and Jerry. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. 
The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.